Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Support for this show comes from Vanta. Dealing with loads of spreadsheets, juggling different tools, and having to do manual security checks, it can be a headache to keep up with today's compliance and security programs. Vanta is the trust management platform that wants to simplify things and bring all your trust-building efforts under one roof, making growth smoother for your whole organization. Vanta lets you automate up to 90% of compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more. Strengthen security posture and reduce third-party risk. Get $1,000 off Vanta when you go to vanta.com slash vox. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash vox for $1,000 off Vanta. We're in the middle of the worst health emergency globally since 1918, and the U.S. is cutting off its funding to the most important international health organization, the World Health Organization, or WHO. Why is that happening? What possible reasoning could the United States be using? And did the WHO really screw up its early pandemic response as the U.S. is claiming? That's what we're going to talk about today on Worldly, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Zach Beecham, here as always with Jen Williams and Alex Ward. Hi. What's going on? Well, look, I'm I'm in my home office sitting here with my dog who usually whines partway through the episode. One of the two. The other one sits downstairs comfortably with my wife. To be fair, Alex also whines usually halfway through the episode. Well, yes. So. I mean, we, we, we could call the episode Alex whining. I'm just kidding. Uh, but I just made that up. No, in, instead, we're going to talk about something... Uh, which you know seems kind of befuddling and, and difficult to wrap one's head around, which is the Trump administration's decision to cut off entirely funding for the World Health Organization. The U.S. is the WHO's or the WHO's, as we're probably going to call it throughout the episode, most important funder. And so to have that kind of cutoff in the middle uh, of a time where global health coordination and assistance is more important than ever, it, it sort of boggles the mind, right? To me, it's it's really morally reprehensible. But before we get into me being angry about this, and the rest of the worldly team will also probably be angry, uh, I want to talk about the reasoning behind the Trump administration's decision to do this. Because uh, while I think that the decision itself is indefensible, there are real reasons, real non-made-up, non-political reasons to believe the WHO has performed poorly during this epidemic. So let's start at the very beginning in China, where the epidemic started, right? What was the WHO's early role here? Like, what were they doing? And why did this come in for such harsh criticism later? So the WHO is basically the global body that helps the entire world deal with pandemics or certain countries gain abilities to deal with health crises as they pop up. In this case, the WHO, of course, with the coronavirus growing, uh, would be the natural global body for a country to go to and say, hey, we've got a pandemic on the rise or a new disease on the rise. So that's what was going on with China. As the disease was growing in Wuhan, it's China's responsibility to report, hey, here's what's going on. We tell the WHO and then the WHO works with China and then to the rest of the world as to what to do. China, as we already know, obfuscated a lot those early days. Uh, as, as data was coming in about you know what the disease was, the amount of its spread, et cetera, not much was really being told. And the WHO 
kind of went along with it. They effectively were just kind of like, yeah, they're buying China's line. Most egregiously, when China was saying that there was no human-to-human transmission, like the WHO even tweeted it out, like basically that line. So in the early days, you had the WHO effectively buying China's line and not really pushing hard to get it to be more transparent or listen to whistleblowers like uh, Dr. Li Wen Liang, who we talked about before. Uh, this changed, and we'll get into that, but those were its early missteps, and that's where it gets a lot of criticism and, and in my mind, deserves it. Um, no institution is perfect. And we'll, again, we'll get into how badly it should be reprimanded or if it should be reprimanded at all. But when you have people like Trump or conservative allies saying the WHO messed up, it was close to China, or at least it bought into China's early wrong lines about what was going on with the coronavirus, uh, that is true. Yeah, I just want to be clear for listeners here who may not have been following the daily press conferences, which, fair enough, just to kind of clarify exactly what Trump is saying in as much as you can kind of parse out what his argument is, it's mostly along two lines. One, you know, like Alex said, that the WHO was not good at raising the alarm early enough that they didn't declare it a global pandemic fast enough. They opposed Trump's travel ban. They didn't call for travel bans. Um, and the second thing, basically, that they parroted China's line. Again, this is Trump's argument that they parroted China's lines. At one point, this is this is true. On January 28th, the head of the WHO met with Chinese President Xi Jinping, and basically praised China for setting a new standard for outbreak control praised their openness to sharing information with the WHO. And this was at a time when China was doing literally the exact opposite uh, and not sharing information. So those are the two kind of main lines of, of criticism that Trump has been kind of saying over and over again. Uh, his broader argument is that the WHO is basically in the pocket of China, that China is way too influential in the WHO, and therefore that it wasn't really like accidental that the WHO just like bungled this, that they're they're too pro-China, that China has too much influence, and therefore the WHO took China's side essentially and didn't warn the world of what was going on because it was taking China's side on these things and and buying into China's propaganda. That's kind of the main kind of lines of lines of argument coming from the Trump administration and 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 other critics. There's one tweet that I think really encapsulates this, I, and I, this is from the World Health Organization's official account, so I'm not just picking a random Twitter person here. What they wrote on January 14th, right, so this is uh, well after we're aware that there's you know, a serious problem inside China, it says, preliminary investigations conducted by the Chinese authorities have found no clear evidence of human-to-human transmission of the novel coronavirus identified in Wuhan, China. Right, like there was already human-to-human human yeah. transmission happening like, visibly. <laughs> I, I'm having difficulty articulating how upsetting I find that tweet because it's, uh, at that point, the Chinese government, at least elements of the government, were engaged in covering up this very fact. The spread of the virus, they were refusing to act, they were not implementing measures, they were punishing people who were raising the alarm. And the World Health Organization is... By, by saying things like this internationally, is providing them cover, basically giving the world a license not to be concerned about it, right? And I'm sure there were reasons that went into them saying that at the time, but I think it is it is totally justifiable to say that there were major flaws in the WHO's response to the situation. Uh, and not only that, right, you can link them back not to just them being some kind of like 
systematically biased organization in favor of China, but the fact that they are responsive to significant amounts of donations uh, that come from China. The the WHO, like most international organizations, doesn't have an independent source of funding. Like they can't tax people, right? They're not, it doesn't work that way. So they rely on contributions from member states. And China is the second largest contributor after the United States, unsurprisingly, given its organization. And not only that, but it was pretty vital in supporting Tedros, the, the current head of the WHO's, bid to become the leader, right? He got Chinese backing and has taken China's position on, most notably and interestingly, uh, the admission of Taiwan into the WHO, which is obviously a controversial, touchy issue in China. Like, I, I don't want to, before we go into the reasons why suspending funding for them is truly bizarre, I don't want to make it seem like the WHO has been blameless during this crisis. I do, I do want to make a point about, quickly, the WHO structure here. So a country's size economically, they have to give a certain percentage of basically their GDP as a contribution to the WHO. So the United States being big gives a lot. China being big gives a lot. That's only 20%, though, of the WHO's budget. About 80% comes from voluntary contributions, where the United States is also a major giver, as is the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, China, etc. The problem is, of that 80% voluntary contribution, all that money has to go to specific pet projects. That's why the WHO still spends like a ton of money on polio research, despite the fact that we basically eradicated it. It's something along the lines of like 25 to 30% of the WHO's funding goes to polio. So there it's not a really well-funded organization, which makes the WHO incredibly susceptible to somewhat of political influence or the need to not anger some of its biggest benefactors. Caveat to this. After the SARS crisis, the head of the WHO at the time was actually very critical of China's handling of it and lambasted it quite a bit. The organization then made uh, kind of a deal in which they would not lambast countries again. They would not necessarily criticize them for their handling of of medical emergencies or or whatever it may be. So it is somewhat, if not more than that, it is WHO policy not to kind of badmouth a country regardless of how they're kind of screwing things up. You can make the case, and some have, that this has actually made the WHO more, even more toothless, and I would agree. But if you think about like all the things that the United States doesn't do, not providing enough health care to enough people, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, like the WHO cannot criticize the United States for those decisions, even though those are general guidelines for global health and best practices. So mm-hmm. that's just the kind of organization that it is. It is part both like trying to keep member states happy. And so China being a key member state is, is doing that. And the other is it's just like tie, its hands are tied institutionally from going after states regardless of how they act. That's absolutely the case that they changed their policy and said, look, we don't want to piss off our donors. So let's not criticize countries, at least publicly. Right. But they didn't totally stick to that this time around. So, yes, they they didn't criticize China and, you know, in fact, praised China, like we said. But they did do some criticism even if not directly by name calling out the United States. But when Trump had announced that the travel ban from China, or even when he was considering it, and we're talking into February now, we're talking the beginning of February, the WHO head put out a statement basically saying, do not close your borders to foreigners from China. Like, do not do this. And it was taken pretty clearly as a direct criticism of of Donald Trump and of the U.S. decision to close down its borders. Now, There's a lot of debate in the scientific community about whether 
you know, travel bans and closing down borders really is as effective as people think it is. And that's that's a different question. But people who, including the Trump administration and Donald Trump, saw that criticism as a direct blow against them. The WHO also came out and criticized people saying, don't politicize this. And a lot of that was taken as direct criticism of the Trump administration. Meanwhile, you know, they're sitting there praising China. So had they maybe not criticized anyone, it would have been a little bit more even-handed. And I think, you know, the perception is that they're they're praising China for its transparency and its openness. Meanwhile, telling the United States, essentially, don't do these things that you're doing when eventually everyone would end up doing those same things. I do want to push back on that for, for two reasons. First is the WHO was giving pretty veiled criticism to everyone, not just the United States. I mean, what they were basically saying was the best practices that people should do. I mean, they are allowed to say what the scientific consensus, or at least as they know it, what the global norms are for, for health. So sure. they were saying that a pandemic was going out, was happening. Yes, you can close a country, but the WHO is within its right to say, well, the data that we have says that closing borders isn't that effective. And so countries that were closing borders, they could take that as criticism, or they could just you know, maybe understand that they weren't following the correct sort of scientific consensus. Sure. The second is you had the WHO also saying, uh, you should be testing, 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 test, 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 test. And they were doing that constantly. Um, again, if a country wasn't testing, they could see it as criticism or maybe a way to go, oh, maybe we should be testing more. And then there's even a third thing where, yes, initially, as as we pointed out, that, you know, the tweets and, and its praise of China um, is all true it still was giving tons of warnings to the world community about how dangerous this was, what needed to be done, and like the kinds of steps that, that countries could take. And so let's be clear that while the WHO did make mistakes, and I, no one should minimize that, and that is all based on fact, in the grand scheme of things, it acted as it was expected to, to provide the best advice for countries, to try to coordinate a pandemic response across borders, and to be a kind of like global voice for the moment. It did that. It made crucial mistakes, and it did help sort of China with its with its own obfuscation efforts. But to to say that like the WHO failed, or that it somehow sided more with China, or that it praised China more than anyone else, when you had Trump himself saying like loving China's actions and loving what they're doing, and she is great, is preposterous. So I, not 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 only that though, Trump specifically praised the WHO's response and argued that there were American officials working with the WHO early on in the crisis, right? Like at the same time that he was praising the Chinese response. So it, it's not it's not just that the Trump administration criticism of the WHO is misplaced in the way that you're describing, Alex, even if, as Jen, I think you're, you're quite right to say there were real institutional failures. It's that it contradicts his own line from the time, which to me really underscores the extent to which this isn't you know, uh, a cold calculation of what needs to be done with a, an important international organization that has had a imperfect response to the biggest crisis right. uh, health uh, that that's fallen under its purview probably ever. But it, it it's politically motivated, right? It really is transparently an effort to shift the blame on the part of the U.S. government from uh, – its own failures in terms of testing, contact tracing, ramping up production of PPE, stuff like that, onto an international organization that couldn't make the U.S. do those things. We chose to ignore the warnings the WHO was offering and the best expert guidance right, that it, that it was giving. 
as the WHO was saying, do X, Y, Z things, the U.S. could have done X, Y, Z things, and instead it did not. And in part, not solely because, but in part because it didn't follow those guidelines, the United States is in the mess that it is now, as are a bunch of other countries that reacted slowly or didn't take most scientific evidence or, or advice that the WHO and others were providing. So, like, to blame the WHO for America's state in the moment is nuts. To to blame the WHO for the global pandemic is not as nuts, but it's still crazy. The blame falls squarely on China here for obvious reasons that we've talked about before. And I think this is a very clear, and we'll get into this later, I'm sure, but I think this is a very, very clear just move by Trump, especially to deflect blame again, right? This isn't my fault. I didn't do it. It's the WHO. And now I'm punishing them because look what look what they made me do. Like, this is sort of a weird Taylor Swift movie he's doing here. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, <laughs> Taylor Swift aside, I, you know, I agree with you that this doesn't seem to be driven by, there's an emerging consensus now that the WHO is to blame and failed miserably and Trump is taking a reasoned approach toward reforming an international body based on conclusions of public health experts, right? That's not what we're doing here. This is basically meant to, to deflect blame and, and to make it about somebody else and not himself. Still, that doesn't negate the fact that there are very serious questions about the level of China's influence in the WHO. Before we move on, I think, talking about the, the Taiwan issue, right? Taiwan has has wanted to join the WHO, but because of China's influence... Basically, the WHO is just ignoring Taiwan. Uh, they even have a hard time figuring out what to call Taiwan. Uh, they've changed their minds several times when they're even referring to it. And Taiwan, you know, was really, did a really good job uh, by most accounts in dealing with the pandemic. And it would have been useful to have Taiwan's input and have them, you know, making these, providing data because they're right next to China. And Alex, when we were talking about planning for this episode, you know, you brought up a really fascinating interview that happened that really kind of shows shows this pretty clearly. Basically, there was an interview with a high-level WHO official who's very deeply involved with the coronavirus response. And there was a question along the lines of like, Would the WHO consider Taiwan's membership? And the guy just like didn't say anything. Hello? We, 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 I'm sorry, I can't hear. You. I couldn't hear your question. Okay, yeah. Let me let, let me let me repeat the question. No, so, that's okay. Let, let's move to another one then. Right, because because I'm I'm actually curious on talking about Taiwan as well on Taiwan's case. And then he just hangs up on her, <laughs> and like it's it's on video, yeah. and so there's just this moment where you see him be like, ugh, and he just like you know almost like comically puts his finger high in the air and like it's the <laughs> the exit button um it's it's just a, a stunning moment like there there are tons of issues here with the WHO on that matter but what i just find crazy and i, I know we'll get into this so i'm just going to tease my my views on this but like one this is an organization that barely has a lot of money <laughs> so like to act like it somehow is the puller of the strings and is the be all end all is kind of nuts if you want it to have more power give it more money uh and then two is um, like if you actually want to have influence or change the way it behaves, maybe give it money and, and put some people in charge. Like the, the U.S. has had a vacancy as part of its sort of membership in the WHO since 2018. It was only during this epidemic that Trump nominated someone for the board. So like there's a lot of issues here. Um, that's why Trump's move doesn't make sense. And we'll get into it in a bit, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, in fact, this is a perfect time for us to take a quick break. And when we come back, 
we're going to talk about the, these sorts of forward-looking consequences, not just whether or not it was justified in some sense to, to hold the WHO responsible for the coronavirus pandemic, but what happens now going forward in a world where the U.S. is cutting off the WHO's biggest source of funding. Support for this show comes from Vanta. Dealing with loads of spreadsheets, juggling different tools, and having to do manual security checks, it can be a headache to keep up with today's compliance and security programs. Vanta is the trust management platform that wants to simplify things and bring all your trust-building efforts under one roof, making growth smoother for your whole organization. Vanta lets you automate up to 90% of compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more. Strengthen security posture and reduce third-party risk. Get $1,000 off Vanta when you go to vanta.com slash vox. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash vox for $1,000 off Vanta. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Welcome back, worldly listeners. We have been talking about the Trump administration's decision to defund the World Health Organization, cutting it off from U.S. money, its biggest source of funding, in the midst of a pandemic. And now we've been talking about this in terms of the logic behind the move and the broader debate over the WHO's role in accelerating the coronavirus pandemic or or potentially putting a break on it, right, whether it's been helpful in what it's supposed to do. But I think that, that one thing that we haven't talked about as much is, is concretely what the WHO does in countries that are not the United States and China. That is to say, places that don't have extensive and state effective state-funded health infrastructure. One of, the, one of the vital purposes of the WHO is to help prop up countries that are poorer, uh, weaker states, etc., uh, in terms of giving them the the physical materials, we're talking about PPE, we're talking about tests, uh, we're talking about building up health clinics that can actually do the on-the-ground work, not just supplying it to people. The WHO uh, plays varying different roles of these, and in, in some places is an absolutely vital backstop in preventing the spread of coronavirus, which is why I find cutting off funding from this organization entirely to be so reprehensible. You know, you, there, there's a time and a place for using American leverage over the WHO to demand some kinds of institutional reform. But in the middle of a pandemic where it needs this money in order to fund essential services in countries that may not be able to stop the spread of the pandemic on their own, right, or, or at very least will suffer a lot more because of the lack of international support it just strikes me as, as utterly reprehensible uh, and, and short-sighted, right? Like if the pandemic is flourishing in one country, the nature of international travel means it'll make its way back out to other places in all likelihood. Like I can't say that with certainty, not an epidemiologist, et cetera, but it seems very dumb in a world where our aim is to quote-unquote go back to normal, which means globalized travel, to say, well, we don't care about what happens in these poor countries. I mean, j- just to put a fine point on that, like the the best advice we get from experts is that the coronavirus epidemic does not end until it's basically eradicated everywhere. The United States does not have the power to eradicate the coronavirus everywhere. Um, the WHO 
kind of does, or at least it has the ability to help countries eradicate the virus wherever it is or, or, or quash the spread or whatever it may be. So the notion that you're going to defund an organization that heavily relies on your money to end the pandemic worldwide or at least fight the pandemic worldwide is just batshit, honestly, like just, just on that point alone. What I think is important to know here is that the WHO is kind of like what states want it to be. So there was a debate in the United States about, you know, whether the WHO like offered the United States tests for the coronavirus and we rejected it. That's not the way it works. In fact, the United States would have to kind of request it and the WHO would give it. It's not like the WHO was like, do you want them? And we said no. So that kind of line is wrong. What basically it's just like a bunch of countries, many of them, poorer countries in Africa and, and Latin America and parts of Asia, just basically go, hey, WHO, we're, we're missing XYZ things. Can you help us out? And the WHO will provide it if and when it can. And it has teams around the world to do that. So like, if you want to fight the coronavirus, you want the WHO to be well healthy and well-funded and, and well-resourced. Uh, for it not to be would be nuts. And final point here, just to, just quick clarification on what Trump is really proposing is like he's doing a review as to what the WHO means to the United States and what it's and what it actually did with China. And so it's sort of like a pause on funding for 60 days. That's really hard to do because Congress has already allocated the money and it's a two year budget. So it's not like he's just kind of saying no money. He could put some executive order out, I guess, and circumvent congressional funding. But it's not like as stringent. Um, financially speaking, but just the morality of it and the signaling of it is is the real problem that I think Zach rightly put his finger on. Right. So I just want to give some specifics about what the WHO actually does, particularly in Africa. So the WHO isn't just like an organization that, you know, puts out flowery statements or or just gives guidance. They do actually like on the ground coordination. So if you look in particular at the Ebola outbreak in parts of Africa, they do things like you know, helping governments build up health systems and better medication delivery, targeting and identifying clusters and outbreaks of communicable diseases. They work at like very technical levels on like, how do you set up testing facilities? How do you collect data? How do you do all of the the kind of technical back-end details you need to do to trace an outbreak, to stop an outbreak? But it's not even just that. They also do things like family and reproductive health. They do stuff with non-communicable diseases. They help get vaccines to places that need them and to people that need them in in far-flung areas, right? So they do a lot of a lot of really good work. I don't want people to get the perception that it's just this you know, this organization that just exists to give statements and criticize people left and right or, or not. They actually do like real work on the ground. And so what I think is important to understand is that right now we are in the midst of I'm pretty sure everyone knows a pandemic. And so, you know, the big fear here is even if it is a temporary pause in funding, it's like literally the worst possible time because that funding doesn't just go toward things like making sure that the the head of the WHO is saying the right things about China or tweeting out the right things, right? That money is actually used to to do things on the ground that will very much help slow the spread and treat the disease as it hits places that aren't as capable as the United States, as China, as Europe, you know, to deal with this virus. So it's a really critical time for the WHO to not have its funding cut off. What what Jen just said should really crystallize, and it, it did in my mind when I was listening to her talk, like that the stakes that we're talking about here are not some kind of political game. This isn't just 
jockeying funsies, conservatives in the United States and the Trump administration doesn't like international organizations. And so uh, we're going to take out our blame on them. It isn't that just, you know, one political tactic to be examined alongside the broader game that we play in U.S. politics, right? Globally speaking, this means concrete harm for people. It means that people are more likely to get sick. The more you cut off funding or imperil the WHO or force it to reallocate resources or be concerned about its resource distribution, the more likely they are to have to limit services in ways that will most likely get people sick and could very well kill them. It is not clever to be trying to shift the blame to WHO. It is not unacceptable, I think, within the within bounds of normal political discourse kind of move. It is playing literally, very literally playing politics with people's lives. And it's hard for me to get over the sense of outrage that I heard about when I, when I got the news the first time uh, that the Trump administration was going to try to uh, remove funding, I, I thought it couldn't possibly be real, right? It, it seemed so unjustifiable, the notion that this is something that the current government thinks would be an acceptable tool in its broader PR arsenal when it came to coronavirus. So there was a really interesting moment in a press conference when Trump actually first brought up this idea of freezing funding, and he said he was going to do it in this press conference. And then when they went to questions, a reporter asked Trump, you know, do you think in the midst of a pandemic that this is the best timing for you to do this? Pull funding from the WHO. And he goes, I don't know. You know, he didn't really have an answer. And then he goes, but I I never said I was going to do that. I never said I was going to do that. And the reporter was like, you literally just did. He's like, no, I didn't. I said I was thinking about it. I said I was thinking about it. And I don't know. Maybe it's not a good idea. It seemed that he kind of hadn't even really thought it through. And when challenged on it, was like, yeah, you know, maybe that doesn't sound like the best idea. But then, you know, a week later or so, he comes back and says, yep, no, we're doing that. We're cutting the funding. And it it doesn't still seem like he has a good answer for the question of like, do you think this is the best time to do that? You know, maybe you guys could have some meetings and chat about ways to reform things rather than just straight up cutting off its funding in the middle of the worst health crisis we've seen since 1918. Just a thought. Alex, you mentioned this, and I think this is probably one of the most important points of all of this. You mentioned this in the first half is that if you want more influence in the WHO, you don't cut funding, right? Like that's that's literally the majority of how you exercise influence, right? If you're giving money to an organization, you get some say in how that money is used, ideally. And so if your concern is that China is too influential in an organization, why do you pull out of that organization? You know, pull your funding from that organization. You're just essentially handing it over to China and going, well, I guess you guys can have this. The WHO exists to be this kind of global coordination body. And in in different regions, again, like I said, in Africa, it it acts as this mechanism to kind of coordinate response, not just disease outbreaks, but disaster relief and all kinds of things. In the absence of that, like, is the U.S. going to do that? You know, the U.S. and, you know, historically has played a, a pretty positive role in a lot of ways in doing disaster response. But right now they're not doing that, right? Right now the U.S. government is not taking lead. So... Like, is the U.S. government going to step up and start doing these global coordination efforts in Africa? I don't think so. So it just doesn't really seem like there's any longer-term strategic thinking going into this. It's just like a, a knee-jerk, I'm mad at you and I need, I need somebody to rage at so people don't look at me anymore. No, I, I honestly believe that the thinking is that this is a way to hit at China. 
I just think it's a really dumb way to do it. Like it, it, conservative allies have been coming to Trump constantly being like, you should cut the WHO uh, funding. It's money that we don't need, right? America first. We don't like multilateral organizations, but also it's a China-centric organization and why would we give it money? It's a complete misunderstanding of the WHO. As we laid out with just its funding, like, yes, if the U.S. were to not give it money and effectively kind of withdraw from it, China gains more power. It does not become a China organization, right? China has a lot of ways to influence. But if you actually want the WHO to do kind of more of what you want it to do or to not be as cozy with China, you stay in it. And then also, you care about the health effects. But I really don't think that's come into Trump's mind or his allies' mind. It's not the health. They're not thinking about global health issues. They're just thinking about how do we combat China. If you actually did want to reform the WHO, what you do is you find a way to actually untether the voluntary contributions thing so you can give it money to combat bigger issues like pandemics when it needs it. You find other different sorts of like actual uh, funding mechanisms. You maybe go on a yearly budget instead of a two-year budget. Et cetera, et cetera. There are tons of ways to do it. You do not reform it by pulling out some of it, some of your, you know, sort of like obligated money and then being like, all right, we're out. I mean, you just condemn that organization to be less American friendly and the world to be a less safe place. If you want to hit back at China, and I guess this is sort of my main point, like this is not the way to do it, not just for the WHO, but there are ways to hit back at China for its mistakes early on. Create like a global 9-11 commission and go after China and go after its propaganda that it did well and that it didn't lie. Like, call them out. Make it clear that it's their fault. They made a big mistake. And like, make this their Iraq war. What China wants more than anything else is global influence and a way to say that, like, we are the new leaders. It's not the United States. They're trying to do this through UN bodies, through the WHO, through all kinds of other kinds of things. And what hurt the United States was we made a gargantuan mistake that, that we're still dealing with. And like, make this China's. And lead the global effort not only to combat the disease, but also to lay the blame at China's feet. That would hurt them more than anything, while also not like harming people in the middle of a pandemic. It's just a completely misplaced, astrategic move uh, for just like in almost every facet. So uh, this is where we're going to leave you today. The WHO hasn't lost its money yet, but the threat is looming and the coronavirus pandemic is very far from being tamed. A classic worldly cheery note to end the episode with, uh, but it wouldn't be our show if we didn't make you feel a little sadder about the world by the end of it. I want to thank our producer, Bird Pinkerton, and I want to encourage all of you to rate and subscribe and review Worldly wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks a lot, and we will talk to you all next week.